Welcome to Twice Born Podcasts. My name is Mike Bailey. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to get your feedback. And if you have any questions, please go to twiceborn.net. You can also find us on social media. I hope that you find this podcast helpful and informative. God bless. Romans chapter 10. And as you look on the inside, you're going to see... How do you become a Christian? Romans 10 outlines the ways that we can become Christians. So I'm going to start in verse 1 and go through verse 7 and go through the study questions. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is that their salvation, I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempt to establish their own righteousness They have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. Since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart, who will go up to heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or who will go down to the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. And this is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with their heart, resulting in righteousness. One confesses with their mouth, resulting in salvation. And so as we look at this, we see that... uh, the question of salvation, how, do we, how does a person get saved, is through faith and belief in Christ. And so, um, who is Paul praying for and why? Who's he praying for? Rome. Yeah, he's praying for the people there that testify to love God because they have a zeal, but it's a zeal without knowledge. So here we see that it's important to have knowledge about faith. I, I heard a, a message recently where the the man who was giving the message talked about So he shared that you have to have knowledge before even emotion. Emotion is actually the third on the list of things that uh, align in life. But most people they deal with emotion first, right? A lot of people make emotional decisions, not logical decisions. Elijah? You have the verse there? Okay, got it. So remember, we talk about there are three things in leadership. There are three things in our life that are important to recognize if we want to lead or if we want to determine what's leading us. And those three things are uh, competency, character, and chemistry, right? Competency, character, and chemistry. Competency meaning someone is competent of something, they know how to do it. Logan, you talked about how you're competent in German, you got a 100% on the test, right? That makes you competent. Competent is the ability to understand, apply. If you're competent, if you look around this room, someone was competent in building it and structuring it, right? There was a comp, comp- there has to be competency and the, you usually can tell if someone is competent or not competent. Maybe you had a teacher or a coach or a boss 
and it didn't take too long to determine, does this person know what they're talking about or not, right? Competency is important. It deals with facts, it deals with logic, right? And a lot of people, so when they go to school, they, they tune out the teacher because the teacher is focused on competency. But most people are, are interested in chemistry, right? Chemistry is emotion. Chemistry is much more relational. So you have these two things. You have competency and chemistry, but for both of those to work, you have to have character, right? And character is the thing that makes you who you are when nobody's watching. Character is what you say in public is also what you say in private. What you do in public is also what you do in private. And character doesn't mean that they're the same in the sense that you can do bad in both. Character is that you're doing the right thing both in public and in private, right? So if you want to be a leader or who's leading you, um, if someone gets up and says, follow me, and yet you doubt their character, you think they're a liar, you think they're a thief, you think they're, um, they don't obey the laws, you're not going to follow them, right? Because their character is weak. Their character is the problem. And so our character matters. Leaders' character matters. And here, we have to trust the character of God and Jesus if we're going to submit to them as our Lord and Savior, right? So you have competency, character, and chemistry. Chemistry, I believe, the majority of people, especially in our country, chemistry, emotion, is what leads them, right? And chemistry is that thing where a comedian gets up and tells jokes. If nobody laughs, is the comedian being... Are they accomplishing their goal? No. So how do they get people to laugh? They have to connect with those people on an emotional level, right? Not, not just a logical level, but an emotional level. And so if the majority of people are emotionally driven and connected by emotion, then they're making decisions that are going to make them, what, feel good. They're going to pursue happiness, Right? I had a discussion with someone recently who said that they were talking about spiritual things and that the person they were talking to said that the only thing they care about is being happy, right? Seeking happiness. How many people do you think in this world seek happiness first? Most people seek happiness, right? Even people that come to church, they say, most people that go to church aren't seeking holiness, they're seeking happiness. Can God make me happy? So the, let's ask that question. Can God make you happy? Yes. So the interesting thing to me is I thought through this conversation this person had with this other, other young person about being happy. Um, how many of days in your life have you been happy? How many days would you count as the majority of the day was a fun, happy day? Are the majority of the days that you spent in this life, are most of them, the majority of them, happy days? Fun days, like happy fun days, okay? Is it like 90%, 80%? What percentage of the days you've lived would you say the entire day was fun and happy? Just estimate. This is just an opinion. It's not a, it's not, I'm not looking, I'm just looking for, what would you say, Logan? That's a pretty low number. For, okay, so you would say less than 50%? Okay. Let's just I think that really depends on the personality of the person. Exactly. Because what maybe constitutes like he said a low number, I'm thinking I have a pretty high number yeah. because I'm 
So even, but even though, even if we were to say, let's say 60% of your life so far, you would say the entire day was happy and fun. 60% of your days that you've lived so far have been happy, fun days. That is a very blessed life, isn't it, right? But there's still 40% of your days that have been not so happy or fun, right? If you take that percentage and you take it out to the end of your life, how much of your entire life would you say is happy and fun? At best, 60%, right? That would be a very fortunate life. If 60% of every day you lived, your entire life, you would say you had fun and you were happy, right? Now, if there is an eternity after you die, how many days or how long in heaven will you be happy and have fun? No, I'm saying if, if you die and go to heaven, how much of heaven is happy and fun? All of it. And how long does it last? Eternal. So the person who says they live for fun, if they say what motivates me is fun and happiness, then I would say to them, if what motivates you is fun and happiness, I would say, then you need to know Jesus because he promises eternal fun and happiness. Now, not in this life necessarily. He says there's going to be conflict and struggle, but this life is very short. This life is but a vapor. It's here and then gone. doesn't matter if you live 90 or 100 years. It's still nothing, right? And so I would say to the person that says, all I'm seeking is happiness, and that's why I do what I do. I'd say, well, if you really want to find happiness, go to Jesus. Because ultimately, fun and happiness can only be found in Christ in the life to come, right? If you think that somehow this life is going to give you enough fun and happiness to make this life legitimate, do you think that's possible? No. If all there is is fun and happiness in this life, think about this. We're in the most blessed most affluent, part of the most affluent cultures in the world, right? But most people that are born in this time are born in places of poverty, where almost no day, every day they've known hunger, every day they've known distress, every day they've known war, every day they've known something of pain. What kind of life would that be if the only thing there is to life is happiness and fun, and yet their entire life is miserable? What would that mean? Right? How horrible a thing that would be. So here we see, he's saying, look, you have a zeal for God, but you don't have a knowledge for God. You have a, you have a good, uh, you have emotions that are leading you towards God, but you don't have competency. Why is competency so important? But even here, and the word, I'm probably not using the right word, why is understanding or knowledge so important here? Because if you don't have the knowledge, the knowledge is where you get the truth. The knowledge has to be understood first. So for a person to get saved, they have to have knowledge. I can't confess Jesus as Lord and believe uh, God raised him from the dead if I don't understand what Lord is. I don't understand who Jesus is. I don't understand what it means to be raised from the dead. I don't know and understand who God is. I don't understand any of these concepts. If I don't have the knowledge of those things, these words don't matter right? I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, right? And believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. If I don't have the knowledge of who Jesus is, what this means, then all of that is pointless, right? And so Paul is saying to them, you have to have some basis in knowledge before you can have a 
a relational or emotional reaction, right? The, the knowledge leads to the relationship, what leads to the emotion. But unfortunately, our sinful nature starts with emotion instead of starting with knowledge, right? And so that's a challenge. Isn't it a challenge? You guys, I mean, we wonder why in our culture today people have such extreme views on things, and we say, how can't you see the logic, right? But it isn't logic-based. It's emotion-based. And emotion-based doesn't have to be logical, does it? And so fighting, so if I come up to you, Logan, let's say you're an emotional person, right? If I come up to you and I start talking logic, it bounces off. Why? Because the thing that you most seek after is emotional edification, emotional response, right? I want you to emotionally tell me, right? What is the big debate? You hate people. You don't like people. You want to hurt people. What are those, what are those, are those logical or emotional approaches? Emotion. I'm, I am, I'm trying to get you to believe that there's the emotion of hate in someone else, and that's why you do what you do. Even though there's no logical reason to think that, there's just an emotional reason to think that, right? And this is the challenge of life. I have to realize how much of my life is led by emotion and how much is led by truth, right? Because in the end, we're told this is how we get saved, confession and belief. And if I don't believe, or I have to understand what I believe in and understand what I'm confessing it, right? All right, so we're going to continue on. Uh, what does it mean to confess with your mouth? What does it mean? Why confession? Where do, you, where do we see confession mostly in our culture? Okay, guilt. It assumes guilt, right? Confession uh, assumes that I am guilty. Where do people usually give this confession? Courtroom, before a judge, right? So you stand before the judge and you say, I confess of this crime, right? So the, the interesting thing here is before you can be released of the crime, you have to confess the crime, right? If you never confess that you're a criminal, you can never be released of your crimes, right? And there's a lot of people that will say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not actually a criminal spiritually, right? Until, and this is, keeps a lot of people, I believe, from becoming believers, becoming Christians, is because they don't want to admit that they are a sinner, because the first thing you have to do, it says, if you what? Confess. It doesn't say anything. It doesn't say if you are super smart or if you are super nice or if you're super kind. No, it says if you confess. You have to confess first. You have to go and say to God, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I am in rebellion against you. And I am guilty of this. And if you charge me, what should God charge us with? What should be the punishment of our, what? Death. And what kind of death? Eternal death in hell, right? So until I recognize that I am guilty and the punishment of my guilt should be eternal death, and I recognize my situation, right? And it recognize my situation. I think a lot of times you get comfortable in life and we don't recognize how big a deal these things are, right? That this really does matter. What do you think it's going to be like on the day of judgment for a lot of people? A lot of people, I believe, have convinced themselves that everything will work out in the end. That, that you don't have to, but even more than surprise, because surprise is probably not even a big enough word, right? 
they're going to be devastated. They're going to be, it is like not, not knowing something is about to happen, and then it happens, and you realize that everything then is going to be one way, right? It's, it's the worst possible news. It's, this, is, this should do what for us? It should motivate us to share this message. Why do we want to share the gospel? So that people at least can make a decision what they want to do with it. You can't force them to believe that they need to confess and, and allow the, Jesus to be their Lord and, and believe that God raised him from the dead, but you can share it with them. I, the one thing I remember when I was in high school that, that I was most challenged with is when I would go to these conferences and they'd talk about, you know, if you die and all your friends die, what are they going to know about Jesus? Like, what are they going to do at the judgment, right? And let's say you're in line for the judgment, and they're looking around and saying, what's going on? And you know exactly what's going on, right? And you know where they're headed, and then they find out, and then they find out what's going to happen, and they find out that you knew that this was going to happen. But you didn't say anything, right? And so what, what's that experience going to be like when you die, and you're cleared because you've received the gospel but all these people you cared about die and are under judgment without the gospel, without Christ, and they knew that you knew, but never shared with them, right? They, because you were afraid of what? Why were you afraid to share it with them? Or they might think differently of you, or they may belittle you, or they may, you know, or they may respect you and listen to you, right? There's, there's always the if they may actually want to hear this and need to hear this and will receive it and believe it. And so this should be a, a challenge for each one of us that every person we ever meet is going to be in judgment, right? And if we truly love people, if we truly do care about people, the best possible thing for them is to hear the gospel so that God can reveal his nature of dying, the death, burial, resurrection, so that they can come to know him as Savior. So confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, Right? What does it mean Jesus is Lord? Why those terms? What is a Lord? Yeah. If I lived in medieval times and I was uh, under a Lord, right? I, had, I was a servant in a house and there was a Lord. And I walked in and he said, hey, I want you to clean this certain room. And I said, well, I don't feel like cleaning that room. What would happen? I'd be in trouble, right? Would, so here's the difference. If I was in the house and I say, I don't have to have you as my Lord, I'm choosing you to be my Lord, would I ever say that? No. No matter what they said, if I'm saying, I'm choosing you to be my Lord, that means then I then can't come back later and say, well, only in certain things will you be my Lord. Because Lord can't be Lord over just this little area but this other thing I'm going to hold on to, right? Like, you're Lord of that. You're Lord of these things over here, but you can't be Lord of this over here because this is mine. I'm going to continue to be Lord of this, right? Lord is all, right? It includes every area of your life. It doesn't include just, okay, I'll say some prayers. I'll go to church every once in a while. I'll read the Bible every once in a while. I'll pray. But you're not allowed into being Lord over this. Does that make sense? So he deals with that. He says, the first thing you have to do is confess with your mouth that now Jesus is Lord, right? Sin isn't Lord, flesh isn't Lord, and you're not Lord. Jesus is Lord, right? 
And then what does it say next? And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. What does believe there mean? What does it mean to believe? Trust. Faith, right? Faith. We have faith in a lot of things. We have faith that tomorrow the sun will rise, right? We have faith that there's enough oxygen for us to live on. We have faith that, you know, our internal organs are working properly. And you live according to that faith, right? How many of you get nervous that your organs aren't going to work right today? Sometimes, but most of the time you're not worried about them. You're not anything. How many of you are sitting here right now thinking, please beat, please beat to your heart. Please beat heart, please beat heart, please beat heart. I hope it doesn't stop. No. That would be... What if your whole life, that's, what, if, what would you say to someone who did that their entire life? You'd say, stop, right? You're wasting your life. You're wasting your time, right? But that's because we live by faith. We live by faith that our heart's going to do what it's supposed to do. Here, we're to put that type of faith in the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead. So if my faith that, that God raised Jesus from the dead, right? And why do you think it's phrased that way, that God raised Jesus from the dead? So there's a bigger picture here, right? And the bigger picture is if, if Jesus is raised and I become like Jesus, then I will be raised just as Jesus was raised. By what power? By the power of God, right? So when you die, you won't raise because you are a good person. You won't raise on your own power. You're not going to be like Rocky and get back up. You know, get up! <laughs> you know, no, it's going to be the power of God that regenerates you, not your own power, right? So the two things here are lordship and faith. How you live your life. So this encompass, it's an amazing thing if you think about it, because what does this then cover about your life? What does this commitment cover? How much of your life does it cover? Past, present, and future. It covers where you came from, it covers where you are, and it covers what's gonna happen next. This is the most in inclusive of all statements to say, I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord, and I believe that God raised him from the dead, right? If you're willing to make that total commitment and that total, put that total faith in Christ, then it is a gift that you will receive. So he's saying, look, you're part of the deal, because there's a deal we're coming together, right? There's a deal. Here's how the deal works. You confess and believe, I do everything else, right? We call that salvation. If you confess and believe, he doesn't say, if you confess and stop swearing, or if you confess and stop lying, or if you confess and be a better person. No, he says, if you confess and you believe, then I will save you. Because he will begin the good work in you. He will begin to transform those other things. He will convict you of sin and produce righteousness within you. But it starts with confession and belief that leads to salvation, right? And here's what it says after that. It's pretty interesting. Verse 11 says, For the scripture say it says, Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right? Have you ever thought that to follow Jesus, you will never feel, you'll never be disappointed? right? It says, since there is no distinction, uh, for the scripture says, everyone who believed in him will not be put to shame. What does shame mean? Like, 
can't be put to guilt. Shame is getting caught doing something wrong, right? Probably the emotion that will be the strongest, if we're talking about emotions and how people are led by emotion, the greatest emotion at judgment will be shame, right? Because there's a lot of people that know the story of Jesus, but they mock and ridicule it, right? There's a lot of people who've heard the gospel, but they have rejected it. And then there will be a moment at judgment, and the greatest, probably the greatest emotion that they will have is shame because they could have received it and they chose not to receive it. And that shame will be overwhelming. But here it says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, right? And so there, here's the truth about life. You can't avoid this, right? God will judge every one of us, right? God will judge every single human being and he'll have absolute pure holy justice. He will judge people the way that only a perfect God can judge them, right? People will have, God will have given people a chance. I believe in his, in how, however God works, he will give everyone the just, he will give everyone that opportunity at some place. I don't know how he does it, but I believe he gives them the opportunity. And at judgment, his justice will be perfect. I believe there will be a, the majority of people that are sent away when he says, depart from me, I never knew you, they will do it out of shame knowing that they could have chosen a different path, right? And that shame will be the most, I think probably the worst part of hell will be the shame knowing that you could have been with God eternally, right? That there was that opportunity and you missed it, right? And what did you exchange it for, right? What does Jesus say? What can you give for your soul? What, is, what can you give in exchange for your soul? What is it? profit you to gain the whole world and lose your soul. This was Jesus' whole message was you guys are putting all of your energy into making money and pleasure and having fun, having fun days. What does that measure up to eternity, right? How does that measure up to forever? It doesn't measure up. There's no comparison. Even if you had 90% of your days were happy and fun here and you went to hell, it wouldn't compare. The happy and fun person is the person who ends up in heaven, not the person who ends up in hell, right? So if happiness and fun are actually your motivation, then you should seek Jesus because ultimately he's the only one who can supply those things, right? Interesting in verse 13, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? Everyone. So is there a person you can meet that God would say, no, I'm not going to receive them? Every person you've ever known and will ever know and will ever meet is, has the opportunity to be saved if they want, right? That's a pretty amazing thing. So I always say Jesus is the most exclusive and inclusive of all, right? He's exclusive because it's only by him can you be saved. It is, there is one way to the Father, right? It is uh, for, for um, there's only one way he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by through Christ, right? So there's one way. But he's also the most inclusive because he says here, anyone who wants to can go that way, right? There's one way, but everyone can go that way, right, if they choose to. So he's both inclusive and exclusive at the same time. Pretty awesome. 
All right, and then we're going to finish out here. Verse 14, how then can they call on him who they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? How can they hear without preach without a preacher? How can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obey the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. But as I ask, did they not hear? Yes, they did. The voice has gone out to the whole earth and the whole world to the ends of the world. But I asked, did the Israelites understand first? Moses said, I will make you a jealous of those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that lacks understanding. And Isaiah says boldly, I was found by those who were not looking for me. I revealed myself to those who were not asking for me. But Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hand to a disobedient and defiant people. Right? Could Jesus say to Spruce Creek High School, all day long I have held my hand out to a disobedient and defiant people? Could he say that? Right? Does that make sense to you? Right? That should stir us. That sh this is why we're going to Brazil. Because how will they know unless someone is sent? We're being sent to Brazil to do this, right? And it is so amazing to me. There's two things that really stick out to me here. One is people have to hear it. And two, we have to say it, right? Two, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? Hearing and, and saying, right? It's interesting if you look through all of the Bible, Satan uses the eyes. God tends to use the mouth and the ears. Did you know that? Satan tempts the eyes. Satan says, look and, and be deceived, or follow this way, or go that way. And it says the eyes are a gate into you know, the soul, that you don't want things into your eye gate that will cause destruction within your mind and soul. So your eyes, Satan attacks, your ears and your mouth God uses powerfully. Think about how did God create the universe? He spoke it into existence, right? The power of a speech, right? The power of hearing. And so we have a message to declare. We have to speak it and we have to hear it so that we can grow ourselves. Does that make sense? So I don't want to be the one that, that says, God said to me, uh, all day long, long I've held my hand out to a, to a disobedient and defiant person. Right? How many days? So, the, so we talked about, and we'll close with this. How many days do you think you'll have a fun day in your life and say this was fun and happy? I think you actually do have more fun and happy days if you are a Christian. Because you're not afraid of death. You know who's in control. And there's peace that comes that passes all understanding. Now I do know, like there's a rock concert here a couple weeks ago. People pursue happiness and fun really hard. Like people put a lot of energy, drugs, alcohol, all of these things are people pursuing happiness and fun. But when you recognize that that is really not the purpose of life, you recognize the purpose of life is to know God and to live for him, then you live out this powerful life that he has for us. And that's what we want to go offer the people all over the world, right? This is the message of the gospel, that there's something better to life than just having a fun time, right? And so we have to be willing to speak whenever God calls us to speak and to share wherever God wants us to share.
So as we go and as we serve, recognize the importance of this, right? Is there anything more important that we could do with our lives? Is there anything more meaningful? If you could, would curing cancer be more important than this? Would, would, there's not, like, this is the cure for death. This is the cure for purposelessness. This is the cure. People say, what is the meaning of life? This is the meaning of life, right? This is why we exist. So Romans chapter 10 is a really good chapter to study, to go back to. Romans 10, 9 is a good verse to memorize. What does it say? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? How awesome of a statement is that? That's a promise. It's a, it's a clear path of how to receive the promise. And you have to explain these things so that they understand what they're saying. But we could all do this, can't we? We could all do this on a regular basis, help people come to a place of salvation. When it's all said and done, how many people do you want to be in heaven because you shared Jesus with them? How many people do you want to be in heaven because you shared Jesus with them? Do you want it to be zero? Do you want it, you know, all these other things that we do, I have trophies, you all, you know, you're all successful in your areas, but really at the end of the, does that stuff even matter? If it's not done for the glory of God, it's just temporary, and people forget it, and you forget it. I can't even remember half of the things, right? Because it's not that big a deal. But these things are a big deal, right? These things, one of the things I did that was really helpful for me is in my phone under notes, I put uh, fishing, and then every time I have a conversation with someone, it's a spiritual conversation, I write down their name so I remember that I had a conversation with them. You guys have your phones. You'll forget the conversation. You'll forget these opportunities, and it's good to keep a list of people that you've talked to because you can go back and pray that someone else would talk to that person and that they would have another witness in their life, but also it helps you to record the goal of your life, which is to share the gospel with people. And it helps you to remember that God has been faithful. And I'm telling you, if you say, give me someone to share you with today or this week, it'll happen, right? It'll happen. But if only happens when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If we're seeking our happiness or just, you know, to get by or just to have fun and relax, we'll never do these things, right? We'll never do them. So we have to be intentional about doing them doing them and encouraging each other, not guilting each other, not bullying each other, but just encouraging each other, right? All right, who will close us in prayer? Before we pray, anything stick out to you most about this chapter?